0: Greetings, Meltopians! If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For two dollars a month you could become a Meltopian. And gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim entries in Maltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For five dollars a month, become a feared mailsayer, and gain early access to episodes on the Maltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Maltopia: The Lost Library and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the Ranks of the Malsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page, which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Maltopia, the Lost Library, and the Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. was shocked today as police arrived to investigate two grizzly blind witnesses say the women's feet were sewn together at the bottom of the, the room images of each other. the child.
2: Something about this new presence was growing familiar, but it was no wolf. This was something else, and the impulse to pursue it was also something else, beyond mere curiosity. I'd felt it before, when I destroyed the white son of the dead mother, when the shepherd intervened for the proper continuance of its game. I wondered at how many other wolves had been summoned for such reasons. To defend our game. I was also forced to wonder at how much my free will was engaged in my decisions, having now reached the bottom of my list. Was I just a murderer in thrall of the Murder God? Just another lateral curiosity, that one. I felt a bit like a fool, thinking as I had, that this diversion might be a crack in fate, allowing me the option of abandoning the game. This was just another calling from the shepherd to put something right. Even as I realized all of this, I continued, almost mindlessly. There was a degree of shame in that, given who I was, what I sought to accomplish. It was the first cogent argument I'd been given in support of Jack's machine hypothesis. I realized quickly that the cemetery was more rambling than I'd assumed, unfolding deep into thick woods, almost entirely joined with the forest, where grave dust was reborn as loam, old bones reached out of the soil as saplings, the cycle of a corpse. At some point, across the hidden burial grounds, old blood painted the woods, and the scars of battle split trees and sundered headstones, a war between wolves. I retraced the carnage as one pursues a scar across flesh toward the blade first enters the skin. It wasn't long before I came across the loser of the conflict, remains scattered, scraps of a kill list like yellow fungus curled up beneath the overhang of a wilting weed, tips blackened by the kiss of fire. Sadness gripped me. I left so many wolves behind like this one, all to waste. The aftermath of my sins were laid out before me. I think I might have leaned into the mindlessness of my purpose at that point. To dull the edge of what I'd done would do one final time. The footprints of the winner were slight, lithe, a female wolf. Her tracks were echoes of a dancer recorded in the earth, replaying ever slater with each passing rain. There was a lightness to her tread, free and wonderful. She would have been a pleasure to know in life, I was sure. But she was not alive. My standing in the contest cemented the fact. But it was not a wolf, I now knew, who stole her from the game. The footpath was sporadic like she had stopped to gather as much wonder as possible along her way. But ultimately her tracks, and presumably her life, ended within a stark white mystery. Across the side of a cliff was blazoned what appeared to be a kind of white powder, only that it could not be removed, even with effort. Within the irregular bloom of bleached stone was framed the blackest shadow of a killing woman caught off her guard. But by who? Interestingly, I found another set of tracks, of both a person and what I took to be a tripod. That's when I remembered. The strange photographer from the train to Lastragon. But perhaps what I did not realize was even of greater importance, the lack of the wolf's body. What I presumed was the photographer's tread was no greater or lesser wherever I encountered it, except where the camera had been set out. Thus, I was forced to conclude that the body was not carried out. Also, the shadow upon the stone was not carbon-scoring, but merely what seemed, perhaps strangest of all, a natural discoloration of the stone. So, it appeared, the wolf was not reduced to ashes. This made for a pleasant mystery indeed. The photographer's steps were not difficult to follow, for no effort was made to conceal them. Unlike the Wolf, the tracks were not light, lithe, or exceptional in any way. They were cold and unwavering, businesslike. I found the disposition totally inconsistent with an artist, even though I must confess that photography was not well known to me. Not that I found the practice beneath me, quite the contrary, really. I found it to be, when properly accomplished, the purest sort of art. Pre-art. To capture the very spirit of a subject, the shadow and the caster all at once, was purely otherworldly composition. Of course, the beauty wasn't completely teased out, only hinted at, an exquisite beginning. Beginnings were often, although not always, more beautiful than conclusions. So much was contained within the beginning, likely too much. Most artists, ironically, start at the end of things, sunsets, bones of the body the moon, the harvest. They started there because the end was an explicit affair, while beginnings were almost entirely implicit, easy to miss, harder to capture, requiring a seasoned artist with an eye for the hidden. In fact, the only thing more difficult to render in its approximate completeness was a dream, which was both causeless and endless, yet it begins and ends, paradox incarnate. This should do well to explain why I was not a photographer. One cannot photograph a dream. When the sun was all but dead, I came upon the remains of a house, destroyed almost entirely. Its placement within the densest crowd of trees the woods had to offer, at the foot of a meandering boneyard no less, intrigued me. The solemn photographer had entered the structure, and so did I. The rooms were thoroughly destroyed by the weapons and workers of the woods, vines, weeds, burrowing and nesting things. Rooms little more than the bones of an ancient industry sheltered various night things, creatures preferring the darkness of cast-off enclosures, the corpses of forgotten dead, and the inattention of sun-loving prey. One after the next, crumbling rooms appeared and vanished from my focus, the tracks casually picking through various debris. Suddenly, and without suitable preface for such a bizarre thing, a room darker than it had occasion to be melted into view. Daylight still lingered the various entrances to the place, a lilting glow that, while diminished, should have had its way with the thickest natural darkness but the black hung like a curtain across the threshold, nearly intangible, decrying any and all illumination. Gently disturbed by a cautious breeze, the sable curtain even reacted as if a material thing, however slightly. I reached out to touch it, cobwebs and cold. I pushed through it, and a membrane of outer darkness admitted me. The space within was completely free of light, not a speck staining the air. The cold and dark were a unified force here, molded from purpose, surely. My eyes, stunned for the absence of obedient shadow, struggled for signposts. My sisters took to my hands, their smiles burning obedience into the reserved bleakness, restraining its loyalties. The objects of the room slowly came into focus, gossamer structures melting out from the wincing, lightless cold. Developer fluids, scissors, stop bath and fixer, strings and clothespins, rubber gloves. Here was a dark room. My respect for photography exploded when my fingers closed over a picture clasped to a thin wire. The image within was alive. The object, or was it a subject, moved beneath my fingertips, pulsing. Emitting life force more vital than could be conveyed through simple skin, but only by the soul itself. The image overflowed me, rising beyond me, invading the freezing blackness. Its horror was profound, painful. The thing's resulting scream invaded me. I could feel my family flinching at the sound as it transferred itself into the bones of their spirits, moving like a surge of electricity across one conductor after the next. The sound leapt from my fingers, racing across the hundreds of other photos hanging from wires, each new print joining its scream with the next. A chain of shrieks became a fire of blazing sound, burning across everything, threatening to obliterate the world. It happened before I could stop him. My father became my hands, raising himself high, his voice an explosion. ENOUGH! descended with searing desperation, the air went white-hot. Thunder and scream rose into the air, circling one another, hawks facing off. Then came silence, the offspring of mutual annihilation. And next came oblivion. Jack, as it turned out, was waiting for me on the other side. Hello,
3: Vincent. I was curious if I'd find you here. That awful shepherd has been attempting to dislodge me from my work to recover some last bobble or another, of all things. Naturally, with my refusal to budge, I assumed he'd be calling upon you. I gleaned
2: a few important points from his words. I was not the shepherd's first choice for the effort which might speak to his confidence in my abilities, and I should have been ashamed for succumbing to the shepherd's will so easily. Ultimately, I wish to tear out the eyes of this shepherd, for revealing things about myself I may have been much better off for not knowing. Misery should be let alone, for all our sakes. Jack was speaking to me from the shadows of the September Woods, sunken to near invisibility within the crowding thickets and flowing gullies of twilight. I was prone, upon the floor of my own dream, of a ring of lunatics I'd left behind in Willard, a manifestation of my alternative to the shepherd's foolishness. The image was not lost upon Jack, who immediately fixed his orange gaze upon the madness of skin and dream. Well, isn't that a wonder? One of your pieces, I presume? Jack's curiosity was aflame. Our dream allowed his eyes to take on the appearance of quivering candle flames. In a way, perhaps, was all I said. My mind still anchored to matters outside the dream.
3: Poor, poor Mr. Hyde. He could have been such a wonderful ally to the new Halloween, that eternal holiday of hiding and tricking. No friend to
2: the machines, that one. Jack was shaking his head in genuine grief. While I was not sure what a new Halloween was, though I had a decent idea, Mr. Hyde would indeed be sorely missed. He was, to the last, one of the greatest dreamers I've ever encountered, I said, nodding in agreement. But as I continued to look upon the last work of the great skin-switcher, I saw the mad angel rise from beneath the aggregate skins of the death-frozen, unfleshed white wigs. Delirial wrapped the sewn skins around himself, as if a shawl, his mismatched wings thrust out, dripping flame and insects, both scuttling and creeping across the floor in turns of titter and hiss. Jack seemed not to notice. A dream, or perhaps a hallucination, inside a shared dream. By the gods, this game. Delirial bowed low to demonstrate the fit of his form-flattering article of insanity. A perfect fit, said the deranged angel, winking his reference to some of Hyde's final words to me. Ask him, Vincent. I know he'd love to join us. He'd love to... I couldn't tell if the Angel was real or dream or the product of my desire to quit the game. My impotent desire to quit the game. I wiped the image of the Angel from my mind, and delirial vanished. Jack was now staring fully into me, eyes like
3: burning, laughing children. Something on your mind, family man,
2: he said, assuming something wonderful. I was caught completely off guard. My next words would decide my soul. He wanted me to ask him to leave the game. There was no doubt. He would go with me. I had only to ask. Two children running through the endless woods, playing games in the eternal twilight, grinning angels in tow. I almost wept when I said, It's a photographer of sorts, the one you were to hunt down. Though I have found him already. For the most part. His work is remarkable. You might have even enjoyed the reprieve for such spectacle. I could feel my spirit sink beneath my words, the question abandoned. Jack seemed similarly shrunken, his eyes just wet lights behind a dull orange mask. I see, was all the Carver of Souls said. With a downturned face, Jack walked away from me, disappearing into the dim lights of the September Woods. Just before I awoke, I thought I heard him say... Pity.